Pesachim Perikei Mishnah Tes 5.9. We've just finished discussing the processing of the blood of the Korban Pesach. Now, just because your blood from your Korban has made it to the Mizbeach, which is, of course, essential, doesn't mean you're good to go and you can take your Korban Pesach home to start roasting, even on a weekday. And the reason why is because for every Korban, every Zevach, every animal offering that's brought in the base of Mikdash, the emurin, certain internal organs, I'll refer to them as, as uh, viscera, but it's a specific list of emurin, um, must be offered. They have to have haktara. The word haktara in, doesn't have an analog in English. It doesn't mean burning for incineration purposes, but rather burning for the sake of creating smoke, like the word katoras is incense. So there's a requirement to be maktir the emurim, to burn, to make smoke, um, these certain emurin, these certain viscera in every korban, meaning whether it's a cow, goat, or sheep, which is your only options when it comes to zavachim, um, whether it's a chatas or an asham or shlam, etc. Every one of the korbanos, every zavach, the emurim must be offered on the mizbeach. What are these emurim? So the word emurim doesn't give you a hint. It's quite ambiguous what it's referring to. The Ram understands um, since it's Aleph, Mem, Vav, Resh, it's like the word, like, Amira, to speak. It's those specific ones that Hashem listed when he spoke about bringing the Amorim. Others learn that it's referring to um, like a Lushan um, Mar, like um, the king of the organ, so to speak. Um, it's because Hashem's choice organs, or perhaps because there's a special status for organ meat. Um, organ meat certainly are superfoods, very healthy for you. Get your organs meat once a week. Um, so, uh, whatever the case is, the list of what comprises the emurim is the same for all animals, essentially, and they are as follows. There are certain hard fats around the abdominal cavity, around the organs. Um, suet, S-U-E-T in English, um, specific, actually, specific chalev that must be offered. We'll for now lump it all together. Um, and in addition, the klyos, which is the kidneys, both kidneys must be offered. Yoseris akaved, which is um, a portion of the liver. Some understand it refers to a diaphragm, but the, let's just say the portion of the liver. And then also, that's the that's the list. That's it. The hard fats, the chalev, certain chalevim, as well as two kidneys and some of the liver, specific part of the liver. If the animal is a sheep and it has this sheep have this like fatty tail. So the fatty tail called the alia must be offered as well as a morn. Okay, but putting the alia aside, we're talking about getting out this viscera, these internal parts, the hard fats, two kidneys, liver, and a little more than the, that Yosaris covered liver lobe has to be offered. So to get access to those, you obviously need to flay the animal. You need to remove the skin, get access to the abdominal cavity, and to remove those organs. So that has to be done in the base of English as well. Um, you certainly can't take your corn base before you do it. So you'll have to first flay it. Now, the way animals are flayed in general, and so in the base of English for sure, <clears throat> excuse me, is that you will suspend them from their hindquarters, I mean their lower, their back legs are up, and then their head is, neck is down, and then you'll have to open from the, like the feet down towards the head and get access um, to that abdom- abdomen. Now, there is a machlokus in the Gemara and Shabbos. If we're talking about a Shabbos activity, if one is allowed to flay the entire animal um, or only sort of flay it halfway down, um, providing access to the to the abdomen, um, 
normally on Shabbos, hafshata, flaying, is an av malacha. One of the third nine malachas is mafshit, flaying an animal. The word mafshit is related to the word peshat, like as in what's peshat in the Pasuk, the simple understanding of the Pasuk. The reason for that connection is that when you have this sort of, like in a, in a verse, what's, what's flaying? Flaying is you have this three-dimensional animal, and the skin of the animal is you know pulled around in a complex three-dimensional way. When you flay it, you're able to pull off a hide, which is now can be laid flat on the ground in two dimensions, sort of a simplified shape. Think of like your Mercator projection on a map or something. Whatever the case is, when it comes to um, a multidimensional pasuk, if you want to get just the simple, straight, flat understanding of it, you'll express the pshat, the simple, smooth way of understanding the pasuk, ignoring all the contours and complexity that really are going into a multidimensional pasuk. So the same thing here too, you got to flay the animal, According to the shita, which only go halfway down, you wouldn't do more than that because that's not necessary on Shabbos. And we don't want to do more than necessary on Shabbos because it is Shabbos, of course. Um, the other approach is the shita of the Chacham, which is it's not really mechubad, um, it's not dignified for the offering to be left as if it were like, you know, in some butchery, half flayed and half unflayed. And therefore, it's required that one flay the entire animal properly, and that's the din. So our mission will straightly assume that you're going to flay the animal totally so you can remove the skin and get access to the the emurim. So the Mishnah says, Ketzad tole numafshitin. How do you go about doing that? Tole is to suspend. The way they did it, you'll forgive me for being graphic for a minute, but Tamid and Midos discusses this. So in the, what they did is they would, they had, as the Mishnah says, our Mishnah says, Unkulios shel barzel hayu kavun b'ksalim uvamudim there were these certain unculios are hooks, these metal hooks, um, which the Mishnah, the third parak of Midos describes, that were hanging in two places, as our Mishnah says, either on the Amudum, there were these eight pillars that were situated to the north of the Mizbeach, and when they would do the processing of any animal sacrifice, so they had this Beit Matbachayim, like the area of like of, of butchery, I guess we'll call it, like a butcher shop, where they would process those animals. So there were these eight pillars. On the pillars had, there were these kind of three rows of hooks, unculios, and they would suspend the animals from those hooks. It's very specific how they do it. They, it's, there's a certain tendon, like kind of like our Achilles tendon, that would c- connect um, at the bottom of, Tendons connect muscle to bone, so um, and they're tight and firm. So they would put the hook in the tendon there at the bottom of the hindquarters of the sheep or goats, in this case, and um, and it would they'd hang upside down. Hang upside down is, is also important because you want the the blood comes out from the neck dripping downwards, etc. Okay, and then they would flay it from the top, which means like the hindquarters down, meaning towards the head, because the animal suspended upside down. So if there were there were these eight pillars on which these rows, three rows of hooks um, were, but because in the time of Pesach there were so many people doing um, korbanos simultaneously, so they needed to re- have recourse to extra hooks, which there were on the walls around that area. Some understand there was like sort of like a, a wall that sort of um, in the middle of the Azara, which sort of blocked off the Beit Mitbachayim, the butchering area, from the rest of the area, just like sort of to offset it because it's maybe not so whatever it is um, 
um, or it would mean like the walls like further back. Whatever the case is, they would the people in our Mishnah would have recourse not just to those eight pillars, but in addition there'd be other hooks on the walls around. Um, and that's what the Mishnah says. Let me read it one more side to you, see it one more time for you, so you see it inside. Kate said Tolunum Afshitin, how do they go about suspending and flaying their Korban Pesachs? Un shel barzel, there were these um, iron hooks, Hayukavun Bukasalum Uva Amudum, that were affixed into the walls and those eight pillars in front of the the northern side of the Mizbeach, in the Betan Pachaim, the butcher area. Shebehen, and on those hooks, tolinum afshitin. That's where they would suspend and flay the animals. Now, there might have been many more animals than there were hooks even so. And therefore, v'chol mi she'ein lo makom lislos v'lahavshit. Whoever didn't have a hook on to which to hang his korban pesach and flay it there. Maklos dakim chalakim hayusham. There were a makel as a stick. Like Think of like a, a dowel. Like Think of maybe like the kind of stick you would use for like a broom handle. So makel is a stick like that. Dak means um, thin, like not a thick, but a thin pole. Chalak means smooth. Hayusham, they were there, available for the use. Umaniach es kasefo al katef chavero. They would like balance the that pole across the shoulders of two men, one to the other. Vitole, and they would suspend the Korban Pesach from that pole which was resting on their shoulders. Umafshit, and they would flay it like while they're standing up. Kind of a good trick, right? Um, but that's how they did it. Rebbe Yezer disagrees. Rebbe Yezer holds that the pole itself is Muktza, and therefore he says, Rebbe Yezer Omer, Arba Asar Shechalios Peshavas. If you're talking about an Arab Pesach that happens to be on a Shabbos, since those poles are Muktza, as I'll explain in a minute, according to Rebbe Yezer, one guy puts his left arm on his buddy's right shoulder, and then the other buddy puts his left arm on that guy's right shoulder, and they would suspend the animal off of their like crossed arms that were being supported by the opposite guy's shoulder and, and arm. And then they would suspend it off at like that makeshift imaginary pole that their their arms are making, and they would flay it right on their own arms. Meaning he, the guy would do the flaying with the right hand, so he'd have his left hand as like the, the pole, if you will, supported by his, his friend's shoulder and arm. Relazer holds that these sticks are muktza. The reason why is because um, since they're flaying sticks, if you will, they're a kalisha malachtul iser. They're utensils designated for basically a forbidden purpose for flaying. Um, and that being the case, they don't use them on Shabbos. Now, the truth is that we just got finished saying in the previous Mishnah, the rule is, Ein mikdash, all these rabbinic enactments to protect the sanctity of Shabbos, including Muktza, don't apply in the base of Mikdash, and therefore there should be no problem with using even a Muktza stick for the sake of processing the Korban Pesach. However, Rabbi Ezra holds that's true where you need the stick, but since you have recourse to Plan B, which is just using your your arm, your left arm, and the way it is described as the stick, no need to come to use the stick, and therefore just avoiding the stick altogether, according to Eliezer. The Gemara further raises the question that why the stick should be muktza at all, because the general rule is that while it's true that a klisha malachtul iser, any utensil that's used for forbidden purpose is certainly muktza in general on Shabbos, that's only the case where you're using it for a forbidden purpose. So, 
you can't take a hammer and start knocking in nails. The hammer is muktzah already before you even knock in the nails. In fact, according to some Rishonim, the whole purpose of muktzah is to present, prevent people from doing malacha inadvertently. But if you need a hammer to knock open a nut, it's totally permitted to take that hammer and use it to crack open a nut. A klisha malach iser is mutter to be used l'tzorach gufo, if you need it for its own, for using that very utensil, um, for a uh, permitted purpose. And therefore, it should be that even if it's true that the sticks have a status of klisha malach iser, they should be muttered to be used on Shabbos because you're doing it for a permitted purpose of flaying the Korban Pesach, which is a necessary activity. Therefore, the Gemara asks, why should Rebelezer even hold their mukts in the first place? You shouldn't have to have the Shvus issue at all. So the Gemara asks something kind of interesting. It says that originally, way back when, in the beginning of the Second Temple period by Shani, when Ezra came back, so he found the Jews in Israel were in a rather poor state spiritually, and in many ways. Um, they weren't keeping Shabbos properly. They had married non-Jews, etc. So Ezra cleaned things up over there and with his with Nehemiah, etc. And one of the things they did is they made the rules of Mukta and uh, quite an intense level so that people would sort of get used to keeping Shabbos properly. And and the original set of injunctions back from the beginning of Maishani's period, so Klish Malach Isra was forbidden even the Tzorach Gufo, meaning hammers, or poles for that matter, um, were muktza, period. In fact, the list of non-muktza kalim was limited to essentially three items initially. In any case, while it's true that over time, and people became more Shabbos observant and sensitive, the rabbis made the require, they made the list of what's muktza shorter. They loosened the strictures of muktza on Shabbos. Nevertheless, Rabbi Yelezer is harking back and mentioning, speaking about a time, prior to that relaxing of the halachas. And therefore, according to Eliezer, the stick remains mukta. And since you have a plan B, you can't rely on the principle of Ein Mikdash. Chacham will disagree and say, Ein Mikdash, the stick is useful, it's not mukta at all, therefore go right ahead and use it in the base Mikdash, even if you're talking about a time when sticks in general are mukta and Klisha Malach Tbilisar is mukta. doesn't matter because in the base Mikdash it's permitted to be used. And therefore, the halacha is certainly that one could use the sticks and that would be the din, Allah Lamaisa.